This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latte from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab. Adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour, a co-production of WNYC Studios and the New Yorker. Welcome to the New Yorker Radio Hour. I'm David Remnick. We're going to have a conversation today that some people might find a little touchy, but why avoid it? It's part of life, and at the moment, it's a crucial aspect of public life. We're going to talk about age in American politics, old age. It wasn't so long ago, at least not to me, that Ronald Reagan was considered by many as over the hill, too old to govern. But now we have a president who's turned 80 in the middle of his first term. And even some of Joe Biden's supporters have expressed concerns about him starting a second term. If he wins and he endures, he'd be 86 at the end of it. Donald Trump, who's still on the scene, insists that Biden, of course, isn't up to the job. Pretty strong words from someone who was a decade past Social Security age. So we're going to hear today from two of our keenest observers of American political life, historian Jill Lepore and our Washington correspondent, Jane Mayer. This is not a new problem. I think of, you know, Strom Thurmond. I think he left office at age 100, wasn't it? Yeah, but he only um, looked 99, so you know, don't, <laughs> don't, don't be harsh. But he and Jesse Helms, the, senator, the two senators, sat through uh, uh, the, the Clinton impeachment asleep. First, though, I wanted to get some facts from a medical perspective. Jack Rowe is an expert on the science of aging. Dr. Rowe founded the Division on Aging at Harvard Medical School, and he now serves as Professor of Health Policy and Aging at Columbia University. I'd like to begin this conversation by asking you how you think about this, how, and help us how we should think about this, first as a matter of medicine and as something that we can or cannot predict. I think if we start with just the facts, the facts are confusing for people because you can read that the average life expectancy in the United States is 78, which is true. So is somebody who's 80 on borrowed time? It's understandable that people would think that those people are really on the way out. 
But the fact is, life expectancy on average is 78 at birth. Mm -hmm. But if you make it to 80, your life expectancy is on average another 10 years. I think the conversation, though, is not about life expectancy. The conversation is about looking at the presidency as an extremely difficult, high-stress job that demands a lot, ideally, <laughs> of the office holder uh, intellectually, politically, and just in sheer physical stamina, and wondering if it's, in, in the case of Joe Biden or anyone, even at this late date when life expectancies, as you say, have, have gotten longer, particularly for people who've had good medical care, um, whether that's a good idea or a bad idea. Yeah. I, I think that the, there is an exaggeration of the importance of some of the characteristics that occur with advancing age. President Biden has some uh, verbal slips that he makes. Maybe they're more common than they used to be. Maybe not. He seems to be a little frail in walking. Mm -hmm. Franklin Roosevelt couldn't walk at all. He was a pretty effective president. So drawing a straight line between the you know, inability to walk as well as you did before or ride a bike quite as well as he rides a bike, the fact that he rides a bike at all is impressive. But, but I do think, obviously, that older people are more frail than younger people. Mm -hmm. Let's not deny that. Uh, Just for the record, I'm 64. How old are you? I'm 78. Fair enough. Okay. And, um, and, and, and I think, let's even, you know, I hope you don't mind my asking, um, I voted for Joe Biden. Did you? Yes. And do you think that influences the way you see this? No. The two candidates were very similar in age from my point of view. Age wasn't a factor. The fundamental finding here of decades of research, David, is that the older people become the less like each other they become. All 30 or 40-year-olds are pretty much the same in terms of the kidney function or lung function, immune function, cardiac function, even cognitive function. But as you get out to 80, there's tremendous heterogeneity. And while the average 80-year-old is quite a bit lower in function than the average 30-year-old on many factors, there are always 80-year-olds who perform like the average 30-year-old. And Does Joe Biden seem like what? No, again, you, you have not examined him, we should stipulate, no, I, obviously. I, nor have I read his medical records. But you watch him on television and, that's, and, and, and follow the news as carefully as you can. So those are the limits of your... Yeah. So when we look at the drivers of this <clears throat> variability, successful agers, people in the top quartile, are white, well-educated, financially secure, and have a good social structure. They are not alone. The average life expectancy between an educated, white, well-off, married man and a poor, black, uneducated, single man is 13 years. So when we look at people like President Biden, we look at a kind of super-agers. My colleagues and I uh, at Harvard years ago did a study of very successfully aging 75-year-olds. And we studied their cognitive performance and their physical performance in detail. We followed them for six years. 50% of them did much less well than they had at the outset. But 25% of them didn't change, mm -hmm. starting at age 75 or 76. Mm -hmm. Remarkable. But we, we, we're talking about somebody who will be closer to 90 than he will be to 80 if he, if he has a second term and lives it yes. out. Yes. 
I'm not trying to paint a picture which is denying aging. I'm just trying to clarify what it is that we actually know. It seems to me what's going on, it's, it's, it's a poli- usually a purely either a political weapon or other people perhaps not wanting to discuss it at all for fear of giving points to the other side. Completely, completely. And I think one of the dimensions that's worth considering here are the psychological changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been a number of studies uh, published recently showing that older people fared much better during COVID than younger people. They had more emotional balance. And this is consistent with the literature showing that they have less anger, less fear, less sadness, that they react less negatively to uh, things that happen in the environment. Fair enough. But let me put a little bit of pressure on your your points here. Sure. When we observe President Biden, who I think, from my point of view anyway, has had a certain number of really considerable successes Uh, both in foreign policy and domestic policy in the last couple of years. When I see him in a press conference, I see a press conference very often organized to have minimal questions. He has cards in which he very often picks up and starts reading from. There's not the same fluidity that you would have recognized in, say, in Obama uh, or any number of other presidents, whether you like them or not. It seems pretty clear to me that his staff, recognizing his strengths and his limitations, have come up with workarounds to deal with this, and it might not get better. How do you respond to that? Well, I I wouldn't be surprised at all if that were the case. The question is, is that disqualifying? Is it, 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 (laughs) it doesn't invoke tremendous confidence, but at the same time, I don't feel that some of those factors, or his age, or even aspects of medical history, explain how he's going to function. I tell my students, if you're going to see an elderly man, and he's 78 years old, and he's had a history of a heart attack and high blood pressure, and that's the only information I give you. You can't tell me whether that man is in a nursing home or on the Supreme Court of the United Mm -hmm. States. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the other psychological dimensions that I find interesting is that older people repeatedly in studies have been shown to solve disagreements between various parties better than younger people. Younger people strive for justice in what they view as justice. Older people tend to strive for win-win situations. We all remember the Reagan years, or at least I do, and certainly you do. No matter what you thought about Ronald Reagan's politics, I think it's fair to say that in in the standard intellectual sense, he was never a a giant. But there came a time when he began showing distinct deficits. And not long after he left office, it was announced that he, in fact, had Alzheimer's. These kinds of conditions are not like a light switch. It's not uh, off one day and on the next. Um, How much concern should we have when we look at a politician, uh, somebody with great responsibility in his or her hands who's in their 80s, um, having that kind of decline? Not, not, not forgetting names, not, not uh, you know, I can't find my keys. It sounds like you have trouble with names. I, I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. So we're taking that off the table. Damn that, right. That's normal. That's exactly right. You read that's my normal. mind. You read my mind such as it is. But, you know, you know, 
how, sure. do we, how do we think about that? Of course. Cognitive Im- impairment increases with advancing age. Mm-hmm. Your chance of having Alzheimer's disease is probably 10% at age 65 and four times that at age 85. It's a big difference. Huge. There is a large group of people who have what is called mild cognitive impairment. And some of those go on to have Alzheimer's disease and some don't. I don't think from what I can see, and I watch a lot of news, political news, of President Biden or even uh, former President Trump, that they have any evidence of cognitive impairment at this stage. If they were having significant cognitive impairment, they shouldn't run for office, period. Now, the question is, should we give them a test of some sort? I'm asking. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't be against it. You remember that fantastic moment with Trump described that he had been given a cognitive test. Like you'll go person, woman, man, camera, TV. 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes later, say, remember the first question? Not the first, but the 10th question. Give us that again. Can you do that again? And you go person, woman, man, camera, TV. They say, that's amazing. How did you do that? I do it because I have like a good memory because I'm cognitively there. That doesn't seem to me an adequate test. There are very standard tests that have been given to millions of people. Uh, That's not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) What are they like? There's a simple one called the mini mental state exam, where they'll start by asking what date it is and who the president is and where we are. And then they'll ask you to draw a pentagram or something like that. Then they'll ask you some questions. When I was training at the Massachusetts General Hospital, I used to tell patients at the beginning of the interview that uh, number 12 Walnut Street on Beacon Hill has a red door. Repeat that sentence. Mm -hmm. So there's number 12, there's Walnut Street, Beacon Hill, red door, right? Four facts. Things like that. Okay, but a president of the United States not only has to deal with that sentence, he or, God willing, someday she has to deal with trying to figure out uh, fiscal policy, um, how to cope with China and Taiwan, uh, U- Ukraine crisis, and the absolute fire hydrant of daily crises that come mm-hmm. at a present on a daily basis. This is not a nine-to-five job. This is not being, you know, dad who comes in three days a week to deal with the family real estate uh, a business while the son or daughter is actually running. It's the presidency. It's consuming in a way that turns them all gray and prematurely old. What effect does that have on one intellectually and physically, that level of stress? I think it's tremendously variable in general. By the time people get to be running for president of the United States, I think they've differentiated themselves into the group of people who handle it pretty well. I think President Biden has been a politician a long time. Since his 30s. Some people say yeah. too long. Yeah. Uh, I think these people are selected into... A group, anybody who can run a presidential campaign, talk about are they going to make it? Are they going to get too tired, et cetera? The presidential campaign is the test. <laughs> if you can make it through the campaign, that's harder than being president, I would imagine, in some ways. How much of your viewpoint is influenced by the fact that we live longer and longer? And do you conceive of a day when somebody could easily be president into his or her 90s? Yes, I do. Um, 
I do think that we're going to see the emergence of individuals, uh, more individuals, who are fully capable cognitively and physically and psychologically uh, to maintain very high function, very, very advanced ages. So from a, certainly from a medical point of view, you, I would guess, are against any age limits for uh, high office, whether it's Supreme Court or the Senate or the presidency. Or anything. Or anything. I mean, it's not realistic. Not only against age limits, but I'm furious about something that we are seeing repeatedly, and that is um, old age is not a disease, okay? Old people are sick because they're sick, not because they're old. They're more likely to get sick if they're old, of course. But when Prince Philip died, the palace said he died of old age. That was a great setback. We are trying to differentiate age from disease. What did he die of? I don't know. But nobody dies of old age. Then when his wife died, more recently, they did it again. Even though there was... This, this is out- Queen, Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. God bless her. And geriatric medicine in England is very powerful, very well established, more mm-hmm. so than the U.S. They couldn't get them to say, you know, because they didn't want to label her with a disease. And then just when the the dust settled. The Vatican said Benedict died of old age. And it just tears my hair. If I had hair, I'd tear it out. <laughs> so so uh, that's ageism. Yeah. That's a, a concrete, specific evidence of ageism. When Biden mistakenly asks if a deceased congresswoman is in the audience, including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative... Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was, she was going to be here. Or he appears to doze off at a, at a meeting, or he falls off his bike, or trips while boarding Air Force One, and on and on and on. Yeah. You think, what the hell? That, that's irrelevant. I think 80, that's what 80-year-olds do. Am I surprised to see that? No. Would I put him in the rehab unit? No. I don't believe that what we see, which is attributable to his age, right. is likely to importantly impair his function as president of the United States. And I think he probably has some other attributes that certainly mitigate any adverse effect of what we see. On balance, I think he's a very successful and fortunate 80-year-old. Jack Rowe is professor of health policy and aging at Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health. We're going to continue the conversation about aging and political life in a moment. And I'll be back with Jane Mayer and Jill Lepore. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. Stick around. WNYC Studios is supported by Lincoln Financial. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. 
At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. I'm Roz Chast from The New Yorker. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported by Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Their scientists played a substantial role in developing more than half the cancer drugs approved by the FDA in the last five years. At Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, what we do here changes lives everywhere. Find out more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. I'm David Remnick. We're talking today about age and the presidency, about how old is too old to be in the White House, if there is such a number. Now, I spoke earlier in the program with Dr. Jack Rowe, a specialist in the science of aging, and his argument is this. As long as your health is good at 80, odds are you'll be fine for a term in the Oval Office. It's no matter if you're less nimble on your feet. He thinks there's a lot of ageism going on, particularly when it comes to Joe Biden. But this is a very complicated issue, and we're going to look at it from some other angles now, including a historical perspective. I think it's worth noting the change, right? Because first of all, you think just historically, right? In 1790, when 35 was made the minimum age requirement for the presidency, life expectancy for men was, I think, 44. It's, it's, It's 77 now? Staff writer Jill Lepore is a historian at Harvard University, and she joined me along with Jane Mayer, the New Yorker's chief Washington correspondent. So so what should be the theme song from this? When I get older, what do you think? Kids are different today. 64 is so young. I know, 64 is way too young for these people. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, let's look at this historically first, Jill. Um, Woodrow Wilson had a stroke, and I think his wife basically ran the White House for quite a long time. What is the the history of this um, aging um, cognitive difference over time. Um, what is the history of it, and, and what does it tell you in, in contemporary terms? So I think historically the 1920s are the real turning point because life expectancy had risen quite a bit by then, and the 1920s is really when retirement is invented. Geriatrics is invented. The kind of study of old age is founded in the 1920s. So that's when people first start getting really worried about it, noticing that presidents are getting older, not so much inaugurated in their 50s, but maybe into their 60s. And then you start seeing people saying, I won't run because I'm too old. Charles Evan Hugh- Evans Hughes is pressed in to, uh, to seek the nomination in 1928s maybe 66, something he says, I'm too old. Mm-hmm. Remember, Eisenhower has a heart attack in office, but before he leaves office, he says, any man who's 70 should never hold this office. So 70 really is the benchmark into the rise of Ronald Reagan. 
Jane, when you watch Joe Biden, and you've watched him for decades now as a professional politician, are you concerned? Well, I mean, he's never been a nimble speaker, um, and but I think he's less so now. Um, and so... I, you know, I, I think also I hear the, the the talk around the White House is that he can be cranky um, and is particularly testy around the issue of his age, hates the question about it. and Of course he does. I hate, the, says, I hate the issue. <laughs> right. And he, his answer is always, well, just watch me, you know. So right. everybody actually, of course, is watching him very closely. You know, in the period that I have covered um, the the sort of presidents. I, I came in um, covering Reagan, who at the time when he was elected in 1980, he was 69 years old, I think. Um, and and then what I think we've seen in this modern period is um, age creep. Um, that that's relatively you know fast moving. So that um, you then had with Trump when he was elected in 2016, he was. 70 years old mm -hmm. um so he's older than the breaking the record with reagan and then and then and you get with biden 2020 he was 77 but, i mean wait, one but of the, here's what i see here's what the, here's what the pushback would be certainly from the white house that joe biden in a very complicated and sui generis political race beat donald trump beat him soundly uh as it turned out and has had an enormous number of accomplishments, whether you like them or not, uh, in foreign policy and in domestic policy in the course of two years. Do you sense that he's being, okay, he's cranky. Bill Clinton was cranky. Uh, you know, we can all be cranky. Um, but when the rubber meets the road, is he, is he being hurt by his age? Is there any evidence of that in your reporting or anyone else's? Uh, what I... I think you have to say is that, first of all, I don't know. Um, it's very hard for a reporter to get the truth on this particular subject because one of the things that I've learned is that presidents and other very powerful politicians are surrounded by um, aides and consultants mm -hmm. and a whole village of people who whose status derives from them and whose livings often derive from them and they do cover for the person on the inside well, and that and that I mean that's and, a and good it's, point you you you, know, you broke a story that everybody kind of knew about but failed to write about is that Diane Feinstein who's been, a senator for a very long time in California, was clearly having uh, cognitive difficulties. Tell us that story and how it does or does not relate to Joe Biden. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly sad. Um, she is now, I think, 89 years old. She's still in the Senate. And one of her colleagues said to me that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's painful to watch her. She, she forgets that she's been briefed on things. She forgets that she's just answered a question or asked a question and repeats the question. One of her colleagues said to me, she is using the Senate as an assisted living facility, and she shouldn't be here. That's pretty um, rough. 
it was really rough. And and these are people who really respect and admire her. And what they're seeing is a you know magnificent career diminished. And um, and the, again, what was interesting to me in in reporting on this was, it was clear that in 2018, when she ran for re-election, the people who ran that campaign and who they knew, um, but there are so many reasons why they push a politician forward and cover such things up. I mean, in this case, Chuck Schumer actually had to speak with Dianne Feinstein and get her to step down from being chairman of the Judiciary Committee because there were she was unable to carry out her duties as chairman. And it was a terrible situation. I had to keep talking to her. And then she would forget that he'd spoken to her. And another colleague said to me, it was harder than trying to take the keys away from your parents. I do think there's a kind of broader cultural issue that we haven't really touched on, which is sort of, an, I think, effectively the disenfranchisement of the young, sort of the inability of people to kind of pass on the baton generationally. I mean, you can you could really approve of Biden's performance, although most Americans do not. But you still would wonder, doesn't the Democratic Party have more of a, a young bench of people who really want to be coming up? Uh, and you think, I mean, people may have seen... <laughs> <laughs> the Futurama episode from the 90s that kind of comes out of the Reagan moment and Richard Nixon's disembodied head kept in a jar runs for president and wins <laughs> attached to the robotic body of Spiro, the headless robotic body of Spiro Agnew. Of Earth. <gasps> Nixon's back! And that's how kind of the, you know, that Simpsons generation of writers who grew up in the Reagan era pictured the future of American politics. We'd be, you know, running against the, the, the deadhead of Richard Nixon. And I think for young people, it feels that way. Who's kicking who around now? It, it, it raises questions to me somewhat about why is it that the Senate and the, is so old and our candidates are seem so old, and is it not, to some extent, a reflection of a systemic problem that is also um, a problem with our democracy here, which is that incumbency is such an advantage at this point um, because of our campaign finance system. You get mm-hmm. so much; it's so much easier to get reelected when you're in office, um, and when you're chair. You know, the longer you're in office, you get more seniority. It gets easier and easier to raise funds. All the lobbyists throw money at you when you're a committee chairman, and and. I, I think the process is, you know, it, it, it leads to gerontocracy. It's very hard to unseat someone. Now, on the other hand, Jill, I, I have to think, and I don't know historically whether age has been used as a, as a weapon in presidential campaigns, but I can't imagine that if Ron DeSantis gets the nomination in 2024, we won't hear about Biden's age a lot. Yeah, I don't think there's a real political price to be paid for calling attention to someone's age. Right. I just like we could say that's ageism. Your other guests could say that's ageism. But I don't know that there's, you know, at the at the level of vote getting anything but an advantage to make an issue of someone's age. Except I mean, there was, was Reagan, Reagan famously Reagan deflected that. Script, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, it right. was really effective at that campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. <laughs> Now, does, does Biden have the nimbleness to pull one of those moves? No, and I don't think you can do it at 80. <laughs> Honestly, like, I just don't think I just don't think you can do it at 80. Uh, but I think Jane's exactly right about it, the, 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 the structural problems with our democracy. And I would add to that, though, 
the diminished number of young people who are going into public service because our political culture is just vicious. It's, you know, it's like it's specifically violent, among other things. But there's mm-hmm. not a lot of dignity in American political life, right? Like if your person sort of walks through life with a certain kind of reserve and uh, a sort of integrity of your family life, look at who who wants, you know, who wants that? Well, Jill, you've been teaching young students year after year. Do you sense that fewer and fewer of your best students want to go into politics? Yeah, you never hear from young people who you hear from a lot of people who want to run campaigns, <laughs> people who want to do behind the scenes consulting sorts of things. Although I will say just recently, this was one of the kind of great, to me, surprising uh, knock on effects of the George Floyd moment. I have a lot of young African-American men, male students who want to run for office. But those guys, they all want Biden to step down. I mean, I, I just feel I do not talk to young people who are excited about Biden running for reelection. And it's not because they don't appreciate uh, that he did the great good work of defeating Donald Trump or that he hasn't had, uh, you know, uh, really a, a fairly successful first term. But they they feel kind of renounced. There's no political space for them. There's this giant generation missing. It's not so much them. Obviously, they're not running for office yet, but they don't see people in their 30s and 40s. That's the that's the sort of I think analytically that is actually the missing piece in American political I, I, life. I couldn't agree more. I was so shocked. I remember interviewing Obama on his way out, and obviously most of the conversation <laughs> was this kind of mournful uh, subtext about the incoming president, Trump. But when I asked him who was on the bench in the Democratic Party, he he could barely think of any names. That's the president of the United States, the leader of the Democratic Party. He could barely think of any names. Oh, yeah, who's that guy who's the mayor of South Bend, <laughs> Indiana, et cetera. It was incredible. And you think, Jill, that's because there's such a disincentive um, that that that's enforced by this gerontocracy. Yeah, and by the nature of the political culture, by just the, this this sort of the social media driven kind of doxing destroy your life world that we live in makes a lot of people want to work behind the scenes in whatever they do. Whether conventional wisdom is correct or not, I, I keep reading that if Kamala Harris were, were had been. Um, put in place as vice president to be a successor figure, that has fizzled in large measure. Um, so, the, so, that, so that conventional wisdom goes. If, assuming that Biden runs, will anybody challenge him from within the party? It's, it's hard for me to imagine they won't. They, you've got so many ambitious people. I don't know if it'll be somebody who's respected and really can get far, but it, it just seems like an open invitation for, for somebody. Um, I, I, I think that the dynamic that is interesting with Biden in age is that if, if, if it winds up that he is running against Trump again, I don't think age is going to be a big issue. Trump's really not that much younger than Biden is. Where it becomes a big issue is if it's DeSantis or somebody who's much younger. Mm-hmm. Then I think it's going to really be um, baggage for the Democrats. You agree, Joe? I think if it's Trump versus Biden, age won't be an issue between them, but age will be an issue for American voters who will be really 
frustrated. I mean, I just think of the young people that I teach every day. They will be furious. They will be furious. Can't these people step down and get out of the way? You hear that all the time, and I, I'm with them there. I'm just not persuaded that there's enthusiasm for Biden. So The, the polls you certainly take don't that, reflect it. Yeah, you take that, and then you imagine being 19 and voting for the first time, and you're looking at Trump versus Biden again. I, I just think that's a kind of political despair that fuels the political apathy of a non-voting young person in a way the country can't afford. Jill Lepore, Jane Mayer, thank you so much. Thank you. Great to be with you. Staff writers Jane Mayer and Jill Lepore. I'm David Remnick. That's our program for today. Thanks for listening. See you next time. The New Yorker Radio Hour is a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. Our theme music was composed and performed by Meryl Garbus of Tune Yards, with additional music by Louis Mitchell. This episode was produced by Max Balton, Frida Green, Adam Howard, Kalalia, David Krasnow, Jeffrey Masters, Louis Mitchell, and Ngofen Mputubwele, with guidance from Emily Botin and assistance from Harrison Keithline, Mike Kutchman, and Meher Bhatia. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported in part by the Chirina Endowment Fund. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com.